0: Amen. Good morning. Glad to be back with you this morning after uh, being absent last week. Um, I was, I think I told you this, but I was, or Stephen and might have told you this also, but I was filling in for a, a friend who was on the last week of his uh, sabbatical to, to uh, finish his dissertation uh, to become a Ph.D., Uh, to become a doctor of philosophy in some Christian ministry. I don't know what it is. I asked him if I could have some sort of letter for mine since I feel like I was a big part of him finishing up. What a beautiful morning to worship the Lord this morning. If you look out the windows, it almost uh, looks like a Thomas Kincaid painting a little bit. It's just such a fabulous view. It's Hard not to look outside and be reminded that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. And we thank the Lord for the imagery that we have uh, there today. I want to say in my absence, uh, something was reaffirmed in me that has been reaffirmed over and over again. Uh, But the Lord has been gracious to develop uh, three ministers of of the gospel into preachers who... Uh, preach effectively who preach the word and uh, who I mean I I know that I'm including myself in that but who have become quite good at it I'm so thankful for Blake and Stephen and uh, I I don't I included myself in there because I know that God has uh, improved my preaching drastically over the years I know that thinking back some of it was probably hard to sit through but um, I'm so thankful I'm so thankful that he has raised and grown me but he's also uh, grown Blake and Stephen into being effective ministers of the gospel who, uh, who I have would have no problem if one of my friends said, hey, do you have anybody that can fill in for me this week? I'd have no problem saying one of these guys will do it right. They'll preach the word and uh, it'll be, the people will be able to follow it and it'll be enjoyable and uh, God will be glorified most importantly. So I'm so, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, today, we're going to be back in Romans. We're going to finish Romans 10 uh, today. Our verses are found in Romans uh, 10, 18 through 21. Uh, I'm so thankful for the message Stephen brought last week. The message uh, of the need for the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, that we, are all, we all have a calling. We all have a calling to be proclaimers of the gospel. Uh, It's not just uh, it's not just the calling for Stephen Blake and Bryce for paid staff of a church. It's a calling for every believer everywhere to present the gospel, not only with our lives, not only with the way we live, especially with the way we live, but also with the way we talk. A lot of times people want to have one or the other. We want to live good lives, be peaceable and just leave it at that and not proclaim it with our mouth or we want to proclaim it with our mouth. And sometimes our life doesn't back up what we say. Uh, But we need this mix of mouth proclamation and life living gospel. And the only result, the natural result is friends, is that people are going to be saved. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of people coming to Christ because of the influence I have, because I'm committed to following the Lord uh, in my life and in my with my mouth. We all have a calling to pr- proclaim the gospel. And that starts here in DeSoto County. It starts really in Horn Lake. It starts in this neighborhood. But it goes throughout our community into this uh, area, into this state, into this country, and into the world. We all have a, an opportunity and an obligation even. Um, and what I've tried to be getting out of you, or what I've been trying to reinforce with you over the last couple of months, maybe all throughout Romans, is that these things that, we, that Paul is asking us to do, he's calling us to do, He's, he's, not just say, he's not just creating another list of things that we ought to do. What he is doing is he is giving us a list of proofs of Christ in our lives. These things are a list of proofs of Christ in our lives. We will, start turn, we will turn to him. We will seek him. We will follow him. These are things we've learned early in Romans. And we will trust in him. We will not fear. We will have uh, faith in That he is who he says he is, but also that I will lead to uh, a life that is being sanctified as we saw all throughout the last several chapters uh, of Romans and a life that looks more like Jesus. But also a natural result is a life that proclaims his glory. These aren't the Bible then, friends, and you need to hear this, the Bible in general, but the things for a believer aren't just things to add to a list of what we should do. They are a list of things we are doing because Christ is in us. It's just something we can say, oh, proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, that's something I'm doing because Christ is in me. Not, oh, I have to share Jesus. Or living for Him, obeying Him, turning from sin. Those are things I do because Christ is in me. Not because it's something God has just given me another requirement To do. We all have a calling to proclaim the gospel to the world because that should be a natural overflow of our heart. Now, I believe this with 100% certainty that God, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, is the Alpha and the Omega of our salvation, the beginning and the end. It's all about Him. But I also believe that He is willing and wanting to use us to be a part of that story. I hope we're willing to be a part of that Romans 10, 14 through 17 story. Preachers of the Word, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel of good news. Today I want to move into the last section of Romans 10, 18 through 21. And I want to examine... The personal responsibility that the Jews had, but also relate that to us. This last section is specifically talking about the Jewish people, but it also relates to us, so don't get lost in in just that part. But this personal responsibility that the Jews had and have in their salvation, and even as it relates to everyone everywhere who has been saved or not been saved. Friends, the idea that we're going to go with today is that The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the Israelites are without excuse, are without excuse. But I want to take that a step further because we are not Jewish people and we're not the nation of Israel necessarily. Um, All mankind is without excuse. All mankind is without excuse. And that's the major point we'll focus on today. The entire chapter has basically been a focus on Israel's failure to recognize Jesus as Savior. Savior. And what we have really seen is their outright rejection of the Messiah. One of Paul's main goals in this section in Romans is not only to prove that Israel is without excuse, but to prove that all mankind is without excuse. This thought is important because one of the main and prevailing sins of every human being is excuse making. Excuse making is one of the main and prevailing themes Of every of sin of every believer and also every unbeliever. It happens in daily life and it happens in our spiritual life. Excuse making. Blame shifting. Why didn't you get your work done? Well, why are you late? Well, why did you not pick up your dirty clothes? Well, often excuses. Often excuses come as our only answers to why we have not met the standard that was requested. That's in our daily lives. Excuse making, though, friends, I want you to know is sinful on all fronts. Sometimes we might confuse excuses with explanations. There are times where legitimate explanations are required and someone says, stop making excuses. No, that's just an explanation. I'm just explaining to you. I take full credit for what has happened. I'm just explaining to you why it happened. That's not an excuse. But excuse making is sinful. Excuse making is when we use uh, external factors to, uh, as the scapegoat or as the blame for an area that we have fallen short in. The most offensive form of excuse making is when we use excuses for spiritual matters. We can use excuses to our spouse and to our boss and to and we can hear them from our children and it might appease people for a moment. But when it comes to our spiritual life, excuses find no merit. And what Paul is emphasizing again is that all people everywhere, he is pointing out this with the with the nation of Israel, but all people everywhere are without excuse Mankind has been given ample time and ample opportunity to turn from their ways and to follow Christ. And yet excuses prevail, even for Christians. And as a pastor for many years, I've heard some doozies. Why someone has sinned or why they aren't involved in church gathering. The list goes on. We have become expert excuse makers from the beginning, after all, excuse making and blame shifting was one of the first subsequent sins, right? Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And what was the next thing that they did? Adam said, the woman, the woman that you gave me. Adam went for a double doozy. He blamed God and his wife. And every man since then has known that you went, You do not win when you blame your wife or God for anything. See, I told you. Mankind has been making excuses since the beginning. What did Eve do? She said it was the serpent. Excuses, blame shifting have been around since the beginning. But friends, you need to know this. For you, for your friends, and for the rest of the world, excuses will not appease the demands of justice that God will require at judgment. You will not be able to bring a bad upbringing up as an excuse as to why you did not follow the gospel. You will not be able to bring financial or social status up as an excuse for why you did not follow the gospel. You will not be able to bring parents who loved or hated God up as an excuse or as justification. You will not be able to put it on a pastor or a friend for not spending enough time with you or spending... Are not spending the right kind of time with you. You will not be able to put it on the color of your skin or the lack of privilege. We will face the Lord someday, and all excuses will be burned up in the refiner's fire, and nothing will be left of them. I think we all have a pretty clear understanding of this. We know this. But do we follow this? Do we practice this in our own lives? I will tell you, in my nature, in my sin nature, I am an excuser and a blame shifter. And the Lord has worked on that in me, but honestly, because I was so bad at keeping up with things, like I lost things a lot when I was a kid, like I realized quickly that excuses don't work. Excuses don't save. They don't rectify the situation. They're just meant for appeasing. So as time goes on and I still struggle with this, I've learned that I have to take account of myself not only to God someday but everything I do today. Do we follow this? Do we and I, this is something I'm still growing in, but do we follow this? Do we take credit account for what we have done today? Or do we think that blame shifting will somehow relinquish us of the burden of our failures? They are without excuse. Israel is without excuse. But also, friends, we are without excuse. I want to point out three reasons why Paul says we're without excuse. And I think this will be important to you today. The first reason why Israel was was without excuse and all of mankind is without excuse is because they have heard the gospel. Look at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Paul here is summing up the message that he stated that Stephen preached on last week. Paul uses the word twice, the phrasing, but I ask here, or but I say. What he is doing is he is anticipating an imaginary objector to what he has already said. Now you could also, if it helps you, you could think of Paul as saying this. I know what you are thinking. You're thinking, have they actually heard? I know what you're thinking. That's what Paul is saying. But they have. As proof, Paul points to Psalm 19.4. Their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun. Psalm 19 is specifically speaking to general revelation. That is the revelation of God throughout the world through all that He has made. All people know that God exists because how could you not? How could you not? You see Him in the rising sun. You see him in the order of the seasons, the way nature works in general. And as we have become scientifically advanced, the more scientifically advanced we have, the harder it is to reject or the more scientifically advanced we are, the harder it is to reject the existence of an intricate design and an intricate creator. The Hubble telescope uh, was sent out and uh, many years ago, I don't remember when, but uh, it found uh, that the that the the universe, that everything out there exists of more, much more than we could even imagine. The Hubble telescope found the Andromeda galaxy, which is roughly the size of the Milky Way. They keep going back and forth on the size, uh, which is our galaxy, obviously. And uh, it's 2.5 million light years away. That is, if we sent a space probe right now to go and reach that galaxy, the galaxy would actually come here before the space probe would get there. It would take 45 billion years for that space probe to get to the Andromeda Galaxy, which they say the Andromeda Galaxy is headed this way, and it's going to collide with the Milky Way in 4.5 billion years. So we need to start preparing and stocking up for that. (laughs) The point I'm trying to make here is that there is a galaxy out there that exists on the same size and scale of this galaxy, and it's just one of many. As we see these things in creation, one would be ignorant or unintelligent to deny the existence of a Creator who cared and placed those things in order. Deep space, the Grand Canyon, the Alps, the Nile, plants and animals and the human body all cry out to the glory of the Lord. And this voice speaks to us specifically because we were created in the image of God. If we were not created in the image of God, we might look at the snow today and think, that's really pretty. But because we are created in the image of God deep within us, and especially if we are believers, we look at the snow today and we say, praise God for His glorious work in creation. We are created in the image of God, and so naturally our hearts, even the, even the vilest of sinners, His heart is inclined to look towards God. And therefore, because we are created in the image and our desires are for God, when we see things that He has done and made and the way He is working, He is revealing Himself to us. Paul is speaking, really, he's using Psalm 19 not just to speak of this created order or this general revelation of God, but he's, speaking, he's using Psalm 19 to show how wide and broad and vast the revelation of God has become. <clears throat> Paul is using this verse to speak not only of the general revelation, but how wide and broad and vast the public proclamation of the gospel is. By the time of this writing, the gospel had gone out to all the known world. Justin Martyr wrote, Everywhere you go, there you find. One of us, Tertullian said of Rome, we are but yesterday, meaning we're brand new, but we are everywhere in Rome. You can't go in Rome without finding us. The message of the gospel has spread far and wide and it spread far and wide early. Acts 2 tells of the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost. And they were hearing. If you remember the story, they were hearing the gospel uh, spoken in their native tongue. But the people who were speaking it didn't originally know that language. The Holy Spirit used that language to to bring people to faith. And Acts two goes on to tell us that thousands received the Lord. But and that's wonderful. And those things are awesome. And those are the things we often focus on in Acts two. But Acts two nine through eleven also tells us something beautiful. Acts two nine through eleven tells us that there were many. Who had different tongues. And this is not speaking in tongues. This is different languages. That means that these people came from different nations. And different areas. And they heard the gospel. And they received the gospel. And guess what they did? They went back home. And they proclaimed the gospel. Early and quickly the gospel of Jesus Christ was planted everywhere. But not only that friends. We've had the testimony of the Messiah since... Practically the beginning. Acts 9 tells of this mostly Jewish audience who thousands amongst them were saved and they went back to their homes and they preached the gospel in their own land and their own tongue. And the gospel spread far and wide. Friends, let me ask you a question as we think about how this applies to us. Has the gospel message decreased in its reach since that time? Has the gospel message decreased in its reach since that time? I don't think so. Right? We have social media. Uh, We have YouTube. We have television and the internet on every part of the globe. Pretty soon the internet will cover, uh, if Elon Musk has anything to do with it, will cover the globe. The furthest reach. The Gospel has not only increased, it is exponentially. The proclamation of the Gospel has exponentially increased over time. Since the beginning, friends, because we were created in the image of God and because God shows Himself everywhere, we have been without excuse. But much more now. Much more now, now that the true Gospel has spread throughout the world. And I want to tell you, and I want to scare you by saying this, those in this room have a higher level of accountability, have almost the highest level of accountability of anybody in the world. You are regularly preached the gospel, regularly preached the Bible. You are asked, begged, pleaded, exhorted to study the Bible, to pray, to spend time in the fellowship of believers, And for that, friends, for your knowledge, you will give a great account of what you do with it to the Lord. For with the more knowledge comes more responsibility. We have seen, especially those in this room today, that we are without excuse. We have seen and heard the gospel truly proclaimed. And friends, the time to act is now. Day by day, a change of heart. Day by day, a change of mind. And day by day, a change of works. Can I remind you of something, friends? There is no acceptable response to the gospel that makes us indifferent about what Christ has done for us. There is no saving response to the gospel that carries an indifference towards Christ, towards the church, towards the Bible, towards prayer, towards the lost, and especially not towards sanctification. There is no saving response of the Gospel that brings about an indifferent response towards the things that I just mentioned and anything and all the other things that we know. Any indifferent response to the Gospel is the same as a response of hatred. They are both responses of the unregenerate person. I want to mention that again just in case you didn't hear. Any indifference to the Gospel, any response of indifference to the Gospel is the same as a response of hatred of the Gospel. And they are both the response of the unregenerate person. Indifference to our sin... Is hatred of the Gospel. And a response of the unregenerate person. Indifference to the church. Is hatred of the Gospel. And a response of the unregenerate person. Indifference to the Bible. Indifference to prayer. Indifference to love. Indifference to the fruits of the Spirit. Is hatred to the Gospel. And is the response of the unregenerate person. There is no indifferent response. To the gospel. You've heard me say this a thousand times now. Likely. But if you get hit by a semi truck. You're not just indifferent about it. Your life has changed. It's impacted. When something with that great power hits you. It changes you. And we have been hit with a force. With an even greater magnitude. Where the only response. If it is uh, in a saving response. Is To pursue and seek after Christ. They are without excuse because the gospel has been proclaimed to them. Friends, we are without excuse because the gospel has been proclaimed to us. They are without excuse because they have understood the gospel. You might have thought over time that Jewish people just didn't understand. They just didn't know and that's why they didn't receive the Lord. That couldn't be further from the truth. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. But I ask you, again, he, he's saying, now you might be thinking, did Israel not understand? But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found for those, by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. One excuse for the nation of Israel, for us, could, uh, could be that we just don't understand. But Paul here is rejecting the notion and he is using Scripture to do so. He first turns to Deuteronomy 32.21. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous of those who are no people. I will provoke them. To anger with a foolish nation. This is the Lord informing Moses and his people of the plan to open salvation to the Gentiles. The people of God had known God's plan all along. They were were taught the scriptures every day. Not only did they know a tremendous amount about the Messiah. But the Lord informed them about this plan of salvation for the world throughout the Old Testament text. So this prophecy was fulfilled. It angered the Israelites that the Gentile nation was brought into the fold. And then Paul gives another proof from Isaiah 65.1. I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that was not called by by my name. Paul says, Isaiah boldly prophesied the same. The Lord was ready for his people to come to him. The Lord was ready for His people to receive Him, but they rejected Him. And so He became more ready for a nation that He had not originally chosen. Now you ask; you might ask, uh, now I know you might be thinking, as Paul says, how does this prove that the Israelites understood the Gospel? So I'll answer your uh, perceived question with a question. Why would there have been such a visceral response to the gospel if they didn't believe it was true why was there such a visceral response by the jewish people of the time By the vast majority of jewish people of the time why was there a wholesale rejection not only that but a hatred why would they say free barabbas but crucify jesus if they did not believe that the gospel was a fulfillment of the old testament text and that it was true why would they fulfill the prophecy of being jealous and angry the prophecy had been fulfilled the Jews were God's nation and he gave salvation to a people that were not even a nation not a chosen people the Gentiles were nothing were not special not a people the Jews had a special walk with the Lord for a thousand years for thousands of years and when God took it from them and gave it to not a people is what he said they were angry they were upset they believed, they tried to deny this. They rejected this. Not only were they not a people, but the Gentile nations were a people with no original understanding. Although they, had a, they were a philosophical people and they were an educated people, they were spiritually bankrupt. They were polytheistic. They couldn't get the God thing right, so they just worshipped all of them. They did not know of the one true God. They did not know of his laws. They did not know of his ways. All of their works were not done by faith. Therefore, all of the works of the Gentiles, up until the point where they meet Jesus, where they meet God, had been done with vanity. There were people who did not seek him. The Jews, however, had sought the Lord through the law and through the ordinances, ordinances. The Gentiles were polytheistic pagans who did not seek God. And yet, the sinful, wisdomless pagan still receives the gift of salvation. It made the Israelites angry. Because it didn't fit within their structure of how they believed they honored God. Another reason that this is another reason they understood and we know that they understood is because the gospel is true and they prove that by their behavior. Uh, One of the things I like to do, I think I've mentioned this before, is I like to watch outtakes from the family feud, especially with Steve Harvey because, gosh, he's hilarious. And this this may be a little inappropriate. Sometimes my meter is not uh, on, so I'm sorry if it is. But one of the questions was... um, Name something you practice on as a child to learn to kiss. And at that little thing where you hit the stand, that was one of their things. The first answer was, your sister. And they went through like a two, this guy went through like a two minute explanation of like trying to back away, but he never, he owned up to it. Like he didn't say, oh, for someone else or oh, I just figured that would be an answer. He was like, She's going to kill me and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm like, bro, you've, you've shown all your cards. All you had to do was act like it didn't matter. All you had to do was act like it, it, it wasn't true. But what this made me think about is, friends, when something is true, when you know something is true, you can't just have an indifferent response to it. The reason he couldn't be indifferent to that answer is because he knew it was True. As I've grown older, I've understood more that the reason there is no indifferent reaction to the gospel is because when people are not indifferent, when people hate the gospel, when people hate you for loving Jesus, when people hate the commands of Jesus, what they're actually doing is showing (coughs) in their own way that the gospel is true. If Christianity weren't true, why are we still here? Why is it eliciting the response it is in you and the response it is in others? I could see how Christianity could elicit a love for you if it weren't true. A following from you if it weren't true. But I can't see how it would elicit such hatred from others if it weren't true. It's the only unaccepted religion in all of the world. The only unaccepted religion in all the world is the only one we beat down in all of the world. Now, all religions have their own uh, enemies and antagonists, but none has every enemy like the gospel of jesus christ and the proof that the God, one proof one you don't have to rely on just this one because there's many. One proof that the Gospel is real is the visceral, visceral response to the truth of the Jewish people and all people today. If Christianity were a dead religion, hatred for it would have died along with it a couple of thousand years ago. But because we are created in the image of God, and our hearts speak the truth that God is the only God, it elicits in those who reject God a natural response of hatred towards Him. It's not just about like if you say homosexuality is a sin. That elicits a bad response. But it's not just about that. It's not just about if you say abortion is murder. It's not, it's not just about that. Friends, you can just say... God loves you and He is the only way to salvation. And and that gets all the hatred in the world. It's this simple message of grace and truth. These things are happening with people everywhere today. When faced with the truth of the Gospel, instead of becoming humble, they become obstinate and close down. All unbelievers and some believers beg God, beg God, to take note of our intellect. We beg God to take note of our skills. We beg God to take note of our dedication. We beg God to to notice a work and a deed. But the Gospel rejects self-determination. The Gospel rejects self-will and self-effort. The Gospel proclaims free grace. The Gospel insists That we come with no claims at all. And friends, it isn't that people don't understand. It's that people don't understand. Our people aren't willing to accept a salvation that doesn't include them. Such a simple offering of free grace. A salvation that is open to people who they think less of. A salvation who is open to people who they wouldn't want to occupy a room with, less likely occupy heaven with. A salvation that doesn't esteem deeds, it doesn't esteem self-determination, but rejects them as fruitless conduct. Man understands God's way to salvation. And friends, he has been attempting to develop Fantastic detours since the fall of mankind. Every religion, every irreligion, everything that we do to take away from accepting the free grace gift of the gospel is another route that has been carved out by man as a means of rejecting the simple and free gift of grace. Grace from Jesus. There's one more aspect I would like you to see. And that is that Israel has outright rejected the gospel. Look at verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Friends, Israel has been invited to As a matter of fact, the gospel presentation, the gospel proclamation extends to the world. But specifically, Paul goes back to Isaiah 65 here, where he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to you. I want to quickly provide you with three truths about Israel's rejection of the gospel. Or about gospel proclamation in general. The gospel will go out until Jesus returns. The gospel will go out until Jesus returns. What a glorious thought. The Lord says, All day long, I've held out my hands for you. Try holding out your hands for five minutes, try holding out your hands for an hour. And the Lord says, all day long, I've held out my hands for you. And to the Lord, a year is a thousand years and a thousand years is but a day. I mean, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is but a day. And he said, all day long. I've held out my hands. For you, friends, the gospel proclamation. Will be open until the return of Jesus. Today is the day of grace. Another day that He has not yet returned is a day of grace. It is an opportunity for us to repent and to believe the Gospel. The day of grace has lasted for a thousand years and if Jesus wants it to, it will last for a thousand years more. But friends, even though it has lasted for a thousand years and can last for a thousand years more, it is but a short time. Think about your own day of grace. I've had 37 years of the Lord opening his arms to me and saying, Just come in. Free grace. It's not about your works, it's not about what you can do. How about yours? What has your day of grace been like? How long has the Father been opening his hands, waiting for you to receive this free gift of grace? And if you're a Christian and you've received this free gift of grace, how long has it been waiting for you just to trust in it and bask in it and glow in it? Friends, we will give an account of ourselves as to how we respond in this day of grace. In your day of grace, how many sermons have you heard? What have you done with those? How many Bible studies? How many truths revealed to us? Each of those will be be held against us if we reject the Gospel in this day of grace. And Christians, we will give an account of what we do with each of those messages. If we give an account for every idle word, I guarantee we'll give an account for every Gospel proclamation we've heard and what we've done with that. The Gospel will go out until Jesus returns. All day long, I open my arms to you, He says. The Gospel call is tender and compassionate. This image of Him holding out His hands elicits many thoughts in my mind. It elicits the thought of Jesus reaching out His hands to grab Peter as Peter was sinking as He took His eyes off the Lord. It elicits the thought of Jesus Holding his hands open for the children as his followers were trying to get them away. And he says, Suffer not the little children. Let them come. It elicits the image of the outstretched hands on the cross at Mount Calvary that were pierced for you and I. It is tender, it is compassionate, it is free. It is ongoing. But this gospel call must be accepted. It must be accepted. Look at verse 21 again. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We talked about this a little bit uh, in our Ephesians study on Wednesday night, but I want to give you this idea again because I think it's important. And I haven't really, uh, I didn't really rehearse this as a means of like, in my sermon outline, so I hope I don't botch this. There is, somewhere in the realm of the Holy Trinity, somewhere in the realm of all the things that we know about God, in a seven day creation, in Noah's Ark, in all of these things, somewhere in that realm is the realm where, God's sovereignty exists and free will exists. Both of those things are true. God is the Alpha and the Omega of His of our salvation. He is the beginning and the end. No man comes to the Father uh, to the Son unless he's drawn by the Father. Salvation is all the Lord's. We have spent a lot of time talking about that in Romans, Romans ten, Romans nine. Romans 8. I can go back all the way to Romans 1 if you want me to, but I won't do that. I'll save us some time. Salvation is all the Lord's, but yet somewhere free will exists. Now here's the deal. Here's how I think it exists. And I've used this example before. It's the best I can think of, so I'll use it a thousand more times and you'll just have to get over it. God set mankind up to obey Him perfectly in the Garden of Eden. He gave him every option, every opportunity to obey the Lord. And what happened? Sin. They still disobeyed. Every opportunity was set up. All he had to do was just live an easy life. It was, it was, they were created and then they got to retire. It was the greatest thing ever. And yet, in the perfect, the perfect place for obedience, mankind still could not obey the Lord. So this is what makes the free gift of grace even greater. Man, since that fall, in his own free will, is unable to follow God still. Everything we do, is counterintuitive. Before Jesus, everything we do is counterintuitive to receiving the gospel. Paul said it, and we've read it, and I've quoted it a thousand times, but Paul says in Romans uh, 3.10, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Friends, we must know this. Every day of our lives we live without Jesus is active disobedience to the Lord. Every day we live in our lives without Jesus is active disobedience to the Lord. There is nothing passive in us. Now somewhere in the realm of all that, God calls us. He saves us. He makes us more like Him. And yet we actively reject Him if we do not follow Him in faith. The Gospel calling must be accepted. We must submit to Jesus as Lord. We must surrender our lives. There must be proof and evidence Of a gospel and spiritual change in our lives. Friends, today is the day of grace. Today is the day of grace. The arms of the Lord are open to you today. Will you repent? Turn from where you were going. Will you follow the Lord as Lord of your life? Will you trust Him? Paul ends this thought with the arms of the Lord being always open. But it comes from this idea. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you trust Jesus today? I believe there are mostly Christians in this room. But friends, I want to tell you that even Christians, even Christians can miss the mark as it pertains to trusting Jesus as Lord. There's a life of peace that follows. There's hope. There's joy. Not an easy life. Not a perfect life. But a life worth pursuing. And a life that comes by receiving the free grace offer that the Gospel affords to every man who believes. Pray with me today. Lord, you're so good. We are so thankful. For the gospel that you have given to us. We are so thankful that you have loved us. You have adorned us with grace and you have given us the ability to be more like you. Thank you for those outstretched arms that are open all the day long, that are open all day long for us. Lord, would you help us to receive this free gift, this free grace offer? Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. Thank you for drawing us closer to you when even in our own way, we reject you still, even if we're believers. Help us to draw closer to You in faith. Help us to be brought into the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray and ask these things in His name and for His sake. Amen.